If you'd open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Father, as we begin this morning to dig into the meat of the book of 2 Corinthians, as well as thanking you, Lord, again for preserving for us your word, we know, Lord, that you have spoken to us through your word and that you are speaking to us through your word. We ask, Lord, you would give us receptive hearts. We pray, Father, that we would desire to do more than just hear the words that are here on the page, but, Lord, that we would desire to, to know them, to understand them, as the psalmist has said in other places, to eat them, to digest them. The Father, we may know them and know you and know your will for our lives. We ask, Lord, that this time in your word would be of great benefit to us. And the Lord, it would be the desire of our heart to want to apply these things to our living, to our thinking, so that it becomes a part of who we are. Knowing, Lord, that by doing this, not only do we please you, we give ourselves, Father, the opportunity to enjoy the greatest happiness and joy we can experience here on earth, that we can have contentment and peace of mind. As always, we are grateful, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So our focus this morning is going to be on verses 3 and 4, where again it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, of mercies and the God of all comfort. Again, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There is a medical school program in Maine, I believe it's at the University of New England College of uh, Osteopathic Medicine. I don't think this is the only school that does this. However, uh, it says that the students who are training for geriatric medicine are given a very unique opportunity. And what they do is, once you kind of go through the approval process, you experience life in a nursing home as a resident. It uh, lasts for 10 to 14 days. And so you learn of the struggles of maneuvering in a wheelchair, of being raised out of a bed with a lift, as well as reaching the shower bar from a seated position. Uh, they, say, they say in the article that I was reading about this, they said one student learned how little things counted for a lot, like lowering the nameplates on doors so that patients can find their rooms more easily or putting the TV remote in a more reachable location. And even though students cannot still fully relate, the goal is that they will be better able to serve the elderly in their future work. And that's what the kind of thing we're talking about here. 
God gives you and me the opportunity to use the lessons we've learned and the comfort that he's given us during difficult times to help others in special ways. Again, verse four says, who comforts us in all our affliction. When he says who comforts us in all our affliction, the word comforts there in the Greek language is present tense. What that means is, is that God is continually able, that God is continually providing comfort. So again, there's always this idea, I believe, that is really presented in the scripture, that God is always involved in your life and my life. Regardless of how you feel, the, the idea that God is off at a distance, you might feel like he is far, but he's not. He's involved in every aspect of your life. He's always there. He's always working in your life. We sometimes say that nothing happens by accident, which is true, but it's much more than that. All these things that are going on in your life, God is in them and causing them and allowing them and, and using the mold and the shape you and I to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. The word affliction, which is used here, is the Greek word thalipsis, which means pressure or crushing. It, it was a word that would be used for squeezing grapes to make wine or maybe crushing wheat to make flour. And it's a word that's used that can indicate either physical and or emotional affliction. So as one pastor said, as you read through the word of God and study it, sufferings in our lives are never accidents, but they are divine appointments. So he wasn't trying just to sound spiritual when he said this. This is the actual view we should have when it comes to sufferings in our lives. God is behind it and he is in it. And it is not happening to you by happenstance or by accident. God definitely has his purposes in what is happening in your life. So when it comes to the word comfort, I don't know if you write in your Bible very much. Some people write notes in their Bibles. Some people don't write anything in their Bibles. But if you do any kind of writing in your Bible, I think that when it comes to the word comfort, you should circle it and then draw a line somewhere where there's space so you can write another word. Because when it comes to the word comfort, we often only think of one kind of thing when it comes to comfort. You know, making someone more comfortable, making them feel better. Uh, the idea is, is making things easier for them, which is not incorrect. Comfort does mean that. You know, when a child is sick, we want to make them more comfortable. You know, we want to make sure they have enough pillows. We want to make sure there's this or that and, you know, that kind of thing. If you're caring for someone who's sick in your home, it's the same idea. Do they, they need a drink? You want to make sure they have a drink. They, they can, you know, you, you want to make sure they have access to whatever it is they need because you want to comfort them. And it does mean that here, but not only that. The word that you should write down, I believe, uh, to help us to remember what comfort is talking about here is the word strengthen. So it is to bring comfort, but it's to strengthen the individual. So you're not, we're not just to bring a little cheer into someone's life. We're not just to bring a friendly word of encouragement into someone's life. Now, this doesn't mean that we do so sternly. I'm not saying that somehow we're becoming harsh and stoic when we're trying to comfort those who are going through times of difficulty. But we want to make sure that this is included. This is not just making things soft for the individual. What Paul was experiencing when he went through all the various difficulties that he went through 
was the strengthening of God. The strengthening of God in your life, the strengthening of God in his life, gave him a peaceful spirit. It gave him a restful spirit to meet the pressure and the stress with which he lived. The Bible frequently calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. But again, a meaning that I think that is much closer to being more exact should be the strengthener. That is what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life and in my life. He is the one who strengthens you. That is God's provision for affliction. That is normally what it is. In fact, and if you think about it, even when we are comforting those who are going through times of difficulty, the goal in all of that is not only to make them again comfortable, but to help them to be strengthened. Whether it's to approach therapy with the, with the right mindset, if there's therapy awaiting them, or you know, to, to encourage them that this is short-lived and when it's over, you know, basically get up and get busy, you know, that, that kind of thing. In fact, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard this, there's all, you know, obviously there's a, just an unbelievable amount of information that's out there because of all the COVID stuff and all the things that are going on. But one of the things I know that they have been emphasizing is that when you get, you know, if you get the pneumonia that's with it, you don't just lay in bed and do nothing. You need to get up. You need to walk around. If you can only walk for a minute, walk for a minute, rest, walk for another minute. You need to do that. The worst thing you can do is just sit and do nothing. So the idea there of bringing comfort to a person in the biblical sense is to strengthen them. And so you would then be there not just to make sure they have a nice comfy pillow and a blanket, but it would be also to sit next to them and say, okay, it's time to get up. You need to get up and, because you want to help, you want to strengthen them to recover. Many, and maybe it's thousands of Christians, I don't know. But there are a large number of believers that dread facing their lives every day. They feel pressure. They feel stress. Sometimes they're tied up in knots. And it seems that many of them never avail themselves of God's provision for that kind of pressure. Pressure. Remember that God is in your life. He is active in your life. When we pray, he hears us and he answers our prayer. He, he does not abandon us to ourselves. He never leaves us alone. These words that Paul is using here are not just addressed only to be used for religious problems. They're to be used for any kind of stress, any kind of problem. God's comfort, God's strengthening is available for whatever puts you under stress. We never have to face this alone, ever. And too often, what does happen, and maybe it's more unique, or maybe more of a problem for, I guess, like, again, westernized Christians because of the availability of all kinds of stuff, is we, we call on God when everything else doesn't work. We need to call on God first. That, that's not a lame idea. That doesn't mean that you're somehow weak and that that's the proper response to life. God wants us to engage in every aspect of life. He desires to strengthen you to engage in every aspect of life and to strengthen you while you are engaged in every aspect of life.
Again, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. And then Paul says something strange. This isn't the only reason why God does this. But Paul then points out, I guess we could say at least in this context, the main reason why God comforts us and strengthens us. So that we may be able to comfort others. It, it's, it's still not centered on us. We want to be about us. And it's still not centered on us. It doesn't mean that you're unimportant. But it's not revolving around you. It's still revolving around God and his glory and, and God's plan and purpose for you and for others. And the idea is, is that you are going through these things, experiencing God's comfort or experiencing his strength for the sake of others. In fact, you'll notice when you read through this that deliverance from affliction and deliverance from stress is not mentioned. The idea in the Bible, I believe, is a deliverance in our affliction. There's a difference. It's not a deliverance from it. It is in it. And again, why? Why does God allow the stress, the affliction? So he can comfort us to prepare us and to equip us to minister and to equip others. So the implication here, I believe, is clear that having received comfort from God, we are then able to pass on comfort to others in affliction. So that would mean then that at times when we are unable to pass on comfort to others, it's because we have not approached our own suffering and affliction correctly. We are not looking for the comfort of God in this sense. We're, we're, we're focused only and solely upon ourselves and maybe we have missed what the comfort of God has been and we've got nothing to share, nothing to give to others, which is a great shame. The English word comfort does come from the Latin, which I will not try to say what it is, but the Latin word for comfort means to strengthen. And then when you put all the compounds together, it means to strengthen much. So again, the idea of comfort is more than just soothing sympathy. It doesn't exclude that, but it's always more than that. It includes the sense of strengthening, of helping, and of making strong. Turn, if you were, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41. I want you to look at verse 10. Isaiah chapter 41. Verse 10. God is basically speaking through the prophet to Israel. The words are applicable to us, to all. And he says in verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. J. Alec Mortier says this, The command to repudiate fear is based on the divine presence and the divine personal commitment and the promise of divine aid. Again, what you notice, what is missing from here, is delivering you out of something. This is again the idea of being delivered in something. So we are not to fear because God has said he would be there with us. 
Number two, God says he is committed to us. Number three, he is promising aid. He's going to give us help. He's not going to rescue us out of the situation, though he certainly has the prerogative to do that. And there are times that God does. But the main focus is on this. Paul mentions a second positive effect of suffering in 2 Corinthians verse 9 of chapter 1, which we'll get to again later, but let me read it to you. Verse 9 says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, suffering teaches us to not depend upon ourselves or on our natural strength or on our fleshly ability, but to depend on God's power. To be honest, one of the great weaknesses that arises out of arrogance for Americans is we do depend upon our natural strength and our fleshly ability, period. We are proud of that. I'm not saying it's always a bad thing, but we emphasize it to where it's like the only thing. And somehow there is this idea that maybe is even sometimes verbalized that dependence upon God or a verbalized or outward dependence upon God is weakness. And it's not weakness. The idea is I, I can handle this. Just like, you know, the little kid, you know, when we, when we raise our kids, there, there's a, that point in time, which usually comes pretty early and we're going to help them do something. And they go, no, I do it. And we think it's cute and we actually want them to learn to do things on their own. That's not a bad thing, but it's like, we're still doing that. Something overwhelming and most things are really overwhelming. We think about is happening and God's going to help us. And we go, no, I do it. And sometimes God says, okay, <laughs> and we mess it up even more. And so we need to make sure that we see what Paul, who was, if anybody has the ability to handle life and has wisdom and intellect and all the rest, it's Paul. He says, oh, no, no. He said, this is why. So, and, and for him, he was to the point of death so he could learn this one thing. There's another thought. Your sufferings are not sent to you so much as they are for, for you, but they are sent to you for someone who is watching you so they can see how you handle the pressure that you are going through. Sometimes older Christians, and I don't mean necessarily chronological age, but older believers easily forget that young believers are watching. Now they may not be sitting on the curb saying, ooh, I wanna watch this, but they are always aware of what is going on and how we handle life, those of us who've been believers for a while, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And so when we give way to complaining and murmuring about our circumstances, we are teaching younger believers, we're teaching them as if we sat down with them and wagged our fingers at them and said, God is faithless, that the scriptures are not true, that we get no adequate support for what we are going through. That's what we're communicating when that goes on. And so we need to remember when sufferings are sent to us, they are often sent so that others watching us will know that they can be sustained. So this is not just for the believer who's been diagnosed with cancer. 
It's true. Others are watching. And how does a believer handle this? It's not just true if you're struck with COVID. This is also true if perhaps you're having difficulty in your marriage. How are you as a Christian going to handle this? Are you going to complain to others about your spouse? Are you going to begin to treat them poorly because they treat you poorly? Are you going to begin to become short-tempered because they're on your last nerve? Is that how you're going to handle that as a child of God? When you're going through difficulty at work and, and even your boss is treating you so unfairly, everyone's aware of it. How are you as a Christian going to handle that? Are you going to depend upon the Lord or are you going to do it? Are you going to scheme and connive and try to do, how, how are you going to handle that? What is it that's pleasing to God? Are you going to depend upon God? And remember that depending upon God doesn't mean that you're always going to be passive. Maybe there are steps you should take. It's the way you take them. It's the way you handle yourself. If you're going through a financial difficulty, for whatever the reason, whether you're going through a financial difficulty because you've made bad decisions, or maybe you're going through financial difficulty and it's, got, and it's completely out of your hands, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to handle the stress? Are you going to feel sorry for yourself? Are you going to moan and complain? Or are you going to turn to God and draw strength from him? And once again, respond to others and to our circumstances in a way that pleases God. Do you believe that God will comfort you, as we've seen, strengthen you to handle this situation? Too often, we don't even think in those terms. So we need to go back and ask the Lord to help us to have the proper outlook on life, the proper paradigm. I am a Christian. I am identifying as a Christian because I really am a Christian. I've placed my faith in God. I have been united to God through Christ. So that is what I am. I need to act accordingly. When I go through times of grief, am I handling it as a Christian? Yes, you're going to grieve. You are a human being. That's not sinful. But how does it affect the way you respond to others? How does it affect the handling of responsibilities? How, how does it affect your dependence upon God? That's what Paul's talking about here. He's telling us that God is the God of all comfort. Of everything that can go wrong. God is there. And I do believe... That God is always comforting and strengthening us. But we oftentimes are blind to it, or we can be blind to it because of our own sin. Because of our own sinfulness or sinful attitude. Or because, like the little five-year-old, no, I do it. So what Paul is saying to the church is when I suffer, it is for your comfort it is that you might see what God can do. And what he can take me through, he can take you through. Therefore, as you watch me, you will see how to handle this. I do believe that it is of vital importance that our children, who are, when they're living in our home, are very much aware of how we live and handle life. Because they're going to see everything, right? They're going to see and feel if there's financial difficulty or if there's problems with certain relatives or if there's problems at work. 
And what we need to have the mindset is, is to be the example to my children. God can get us through this. See how daddy handles this as daddy depends upon God. It's not that you point out and say, look how great I am. It's just what you do. You handle it with cheer and with faith in God. It's not that you're just putting on a strong face in front of the kids. And then when you get into the bedroom at night with your wife, you rip into her and she rips into you because you both are at wit's end. Besides, the kids can hear that just in case you didn't know. And even if they don't hear all the words, they can feel it. They can feel the tension in the home. Right? We, we know that. We're not, we're not hiding from anybody. And what are we teaching them? We are teaching them there are some things even God can't help us with. See, I think if we approach it that way, which I do believe is not an exaggeration, I believe that's an accurate portrayal. And perhaps it is that kind of scenario, that kind of thing, that has caused so many young people who are raised in Christian homes and have been taken to church for most of their lives, when they get to college, walk away as they walked away when they were in high school. Maybe they walked away when they were in middle school. We just didn't see it because we're just living life maybe by the seat of our pants. Life can be and is overwhelming on lots of different uh, fronts. None of us on our own has the ability and the strength and the intelligence and the wisdom to handle life like a wise sage. We don't have that. By the time we get that, we're in our 80s. And even then you may not have it if you haven't been walking with the Lord. And what, what our kids need to see is not our perfection. We don't have any. And they already know that. They need to see our active dependence upon the Lord. They may need to hear us say, I have no idea what we're going to do. We have to trust the Lord. Don't be afraid to do that. We have to be ready to do that. That should be natural for us as believers who are growing to do that. So again, let me reread this, reread this to you. What Paul is saying to us, what we then, the, the attitude that we should embrace, that we want to communicate to others, to our children or to our grandchildren, or to others is, when I suffer, it is for your comfort. It is that you might see what God can do. And what he can take me through, he can take you through. And therefore, as you watch me, you will see how to handle this. That's how we pass on our faith to our children. This is a secular story, but a mother once lost her son. And so she went to an elderly Chinese philosopher because she just could not get over the very deep grief that she was experiencing. And so this man said, well, I can help you, but you first must bring me some mustard seed, said the wise man. He said, but when you get it, you must get it at a home where there has never been any loss or sorrow. So the woman eagerly went out and started her search. But in every home she visited was someone who had lost someone who they loved. 
or had known something that was heartbreaking. And so after a while, she returned to the wise old man without any mustard seed. And she said, how selfish I have been. Sorrow is common to all. Ah, said the philosopher, you've learned a valuable lesson because you now know sorrow. You can sympathize with others and comfort them. And when you do, your own sorrow will be lessened. There's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth. When we curl up and feel sorry for ourselves, regardless of what the affliction or the pressure is coming from, it just makes everything worse. You're not going to get better. You're not going to get over this. You will become different. You will become perhaps cynical, bitter, or the bitterness that's there will begin to grow much deeper roots in your life. Let me read to you a, a quote from John MacArthur. And he says this, difficulties beset us so that God might bestow much comfort on us. But such comfort is not merely for our own benefit. The Lord entrusts his comfort to us that we might share it with others. He comforts us in direct proportion to the number of trials we endure, which means the more we suffer, the more God comforts us. And the more he comforts us, the more we can comfort others who are hurting. When we do experience real comfort in the wake of a trial, perhaps the most precious result is the sense of Christian partnership we feel. If God's comfort helps us to comfort others, then it's clear that other believers are positively affected by what we learn from our trials. So the entire process lifts us beyond ourselves and shows us that as part of a local fellowship or the greater body of Christ, we are not alone and we do not have to undergo various trials in a vacuum. The comfort we receive and the sense of partnership that results is a great incentive for any of us to be encouraged through trials and sufferings, knowing that such experiences enable us to minister as an integral part of the body of Christ. We've all are aware of this, I believe. We've, we've seen this. We may, perhaps you've experienced this, that when a family goes through a time of great trauma or a catastrophe, almost always that family becomes much closer knit together. There are times when a great catastrophe will actually reveal the flaws in a family and they, they break apart and they implode. But it's not uncommon for us to be familiar with the stories where individuals, sometimes husbands and wives, will talk about going through a great loss together and it really, not just sealed their relationship, but really helped to cement it in a much deeper way. Well, that's how God has created us. Remember Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. And the idea then for us as believers is that when we go through our times of difficulty, that's why we share, we don't share prayer requests so we can find a way to let others know that either we're, you know, we're trying to manipulate them to feel sorry for us or we want them to know that things are going good with us. It's sharing life together. And by praying for each other, we are aware of each other's difficulties and sufferings. And then when we share how God has answered prayer, in whatever way he does that, and there's many ways that God answers prayer, 
It's encouraging to us. Whether you're sharing with the entire group or maybe just a few believers who are praying for you. But the idea is, is that we open ourselves up to others. Too often what happens is, is that we just wait for others either to approach us or we wait for them to open themselves up and we don't open ourselves up. I know that to be true because I know that's how I am naturally. I don't tell people anything. I just don't think about it. Just don't do that. It's not a good place to be. It's a bad place. The way I was raised, not by my parents, I think it was because of the Asian cultures I was raised in Hawaii. You know, that was always kind of viewed as being weak. You didn't do that. You didn't need anybody. But it was always good to be there for others. Well, it, it's, it needs to be all around. We, we need each other. And so what we need to do is maybe repent of, maybe it's our arrogance. Maybe it's our stubbornness. Maybe it's our faithlessness to God. And ask God to tenderize our hearts to him and to others. When we earnestly pray for each other, I believe our, our hearts soften. Please don't ever think of prayer as just being an empty cliche that we use to, to let others know in a very non-committal way that we care. That's not what we're doing. And if that's what you're doing, then shame on you and you're in sin. What we should be doing is when we say we're going to pray for others is we need, first of all, do everything you can to make sure you actually do that. And I think you'll find that your heart will grow softer towards that person. Even if you don't talk to them again for several weeks, you will care more about them. When others are praying for you and, and you know that they're praying for you, it, it does something for us. It encourages us. It does. It strengthens us. Because we know we're all going through similar things. It's important. I believe it's part of God's plan to involve all of us in his work. All of us have that kind of ministry with each other. In the end, genuine comfort is intended to strengthen us, to endure, and to equip us to what? Praise God. When the church gathers, and I noticed this in, um, in, particularly in Mauritius, just because of the number of people that I got to know and their stories and how a majority of them had experienced on one level or another, they had experienced um, some kind of uh, persecution as being believers. None of them were beaten for their faith, but there's a lot of, you know, they lost their families, uh, spouses would divorce them, things like that. When they got together and sang, and it was just something that I noticed that never happened. They were never encouraged to sing out because no one had to do that. When you have a group of people come together who understand each other's sufferings for the cause of Christ and they come together to sing praises to God, they sing from their heart and they sing out. And when that takes place, God is praised and their hearts are lifted. And there is great joy that's expressed and joy is multiplied in that. And so our coming together, when we sing on Sunday, that's supposed to happen for us. As we sing about God and what he's done, whether we're singing to each other or singing to God or all of the above. If we are sharing life as we ought to be sharing life, when we're singing together and I look over and I see perhaps you know, I'll, I'll see 
Steve, and I know that God has done some things in his life recently, and I, and I see him singing out. That's really cool. Not a biblical phrase, but it's, it's awesome. When I turn around and see someone that I know, maybe they were going through a time of great difficulty because of, their, of, of cancer or whatever, and they're here singing praises to God, you know, opening their mouth. That is, that is awesome. But when you see a couple who's gone through difficulties in their family, whether it was the marriage or difficulties with their kids, and you know that God has been working in the life of that family, and God's been answering prayers, and we're here, here singing together, Everyone, our hearts are encouraged. It's just this great, marvelous way that God works. He is the God of all comfort. And so, I, so my goal is that whatever paradigm we have, that as you read these verses and perhaps reread them slowly, you will think of these things that we've discussed this morning. And, and your approach to life and your approach to affliction and your approach to comfort and your approach to prayer will be different. And we will become, and it's hard, I know. It's difficult to be open. It's pretty tough. I don't know if it's just a man thing or what it is, but it's hard. Don't want to do it. But we need to do it because we need each other. And God has given us each other to be his hands and feet in our lives, to be that shoulder to cry on, or to actually cry on someone else's shoulder because it encourages us all. And that kind of relationship expressed in the midst of difficulty, I believe, will cause the non-believing world to be jealous of what we have because what it reveals is they don't have that and they want that and they need that. And that is the attractiveness of Christ for so many. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you understand us and that you know us. We are amazed, Father, at how you have created us. We are amazed at how sin has destroyed us. And we are grateful that Christ is restoring us to what we can be. We ask, Lord, that you would help all of us this morning to confess of whatever it is that we need to confess. That, Father, that we would be able to experience and become aware of your comfort, of your strengthening hand in our lives. And, Father, we not only pray that we would be a comfort and strengthen others because we all want to be that person, but Lord, that we would be open and receptive to being comforted and strengthened by them. And that we would recognize that as we depend upon you, we depend upon each other. And all the praise and glory goes to you because you provide for us all that we need through those that we know. We pray, Lord, that not because of arrogance, but it would be so beautiful to hear non-believers one day say that they were one to Christ because of what they saw in the lives of believers who truly loved and cared for each other. Because you said earlier on in the book of Matthew 
that how we do that is proof that God the Father has indeed sent the Son. Thank you, Father, for not condemning us for our failure. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for comforting us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.